Hey, this is Karen, Coach's Corner Chats, and on the episode today is Erica Suter. Erica, where are you at and what are you up to? So first off, I'm really honored to be here and can't wait to dive in. Just we're both passionate about the game and I can't wait to see where, where we go with this. But yeah, right now I am in Tampa, Florida, and I had lived in Baltimore, Maryland my whole life. I played soccer for Bethesda Soccer Club growing up, and then I went to college in Maryland as well at Johns Hopkins University and coached there for 10 years. And then last year I decided to move to Tampa, Florida and just take the next step in my journey. And I still coach athletes, mainly youth, female, uh, middle school, high school age, some elementary school age. And I work on the performance side of the game. So developing speed, agility, strength, and power. And it's, it's a different ball game down here. Uh, we're training in some crazy heat, but I, I absolutely love it. And I'm glad I came down. What, why the move to focusing on that side of the game? Oh my gosh. Um, so personally I grew up doing performance training. So I started when I was in middle school and that's usually the recommendation I make for my current clients of when to start doing this type of training. And I not only saw the physical benefits in my game, like improved speed, endurance, I was very healthy all through high school and college, but I saw my mental game improve and I just developed a, a discipline for my training and my, my health habits as well. And I, I learned that my body is capable of so much and I can really get stronger and I can put it through a lot of challenge in order to come out on the other side. And it, it just taught me a lot about discipline and overcoming adversity. And I mean, just seeing how healthy I was and how confident I was, especially in college when that was like the peak of my career. Um, I never felt better uh, in all aspects of my game. So I really wanted to give back to kids and just show them how it works and how amazing it is. And obviously the, the science is there behind this type of training, but it was more that that personal experience that that did it for me. Was the pandemic kind of like the the tipping point that kind of pushed you to say, you know what, mental health has now become more out there. People are talking about it. You talked about how you were stronger mentally, and that's something that you, even beyond the field, it was all that people have been going through. And now that the conversation is open a little bit more, has was that kind of a spur um, to kind of like, I'm going to go jump full force into this? The, the mental health side of it has always been a part of, of what I do, uh, even before the pandemic happened. I mean, for the first 10 years of my career, the same theme I saw over and over again was parents coming to me saying, I need my daughter to improve her confidence. <laughs> mm -hmm. It was literally everyone who came to me and I am very fascinated with the topic of developing confidence because there's a lot of schools of thought out there as far as, you know, positive self-talk or um, affirmations or sticky notes on your mirror, like pumping yourself up. But 
it really comes from doing the uncomfortable things and making sure you are preparing on the back end of your game. So uh, physically is extremely important. You want your body to be strong. And if you're not stepping on the field with a strong body, then you're not going to feel confident in your abilities. And even just technically, you need to be putting in the work on your own. You need to be putting yourself in a harder environment than game day. The, the game should be the easiest thing youth soccer players do. <laughs> um, but it's only easy if outside of it, you really push yourself. And that's where confidence really is, is birth. So it's always been a part of my training and how, how hard we prepare in the weight room. And when we're out on the field doing our speed development, we're undergoing stimuli that's more intense than the game essentially. And then just random question, why focus on just uh, not necessarily just, but why females is your specific focus? Is it because you, that's just kind of your, your role um, that you've kind of focused on, or I guess maybe why the why behind what about us boys? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. And I think um, my, my best kept uh, career secret is I've trained a lot of male soccer players. <laughs> yeah. I used to work with several uh, teams in the, the boys ECNL, as well as college soccer players who are, who are male. And uh, I really enjoyed it. I mean, generally the training is similar. We want to develop total body strength, good uh, deceleration ability. We really want to reinforce speed mechanics year round and make sure they're getting their sprint work. Um, emotionally and hormonally, it's a bit different because you have the, the female menstrual cycle and then all these different nutritional needs that girls might need for them specifically. But I mainly work with female athletes now because that's, who's been gravitating towards me, <laughs> uh, for whatever reason, the, the middle school girl or the, the girl who's on the cusp of high school comes to me a lot. And, um, I think parents realize that yes, girls need that female coach in their life who can talk about some of these hormonal changes going on and their, their growth spurt. But I don't want to say male coaches don't know about that stuff. There's a lot of male coaches I know who are very educated on female athlete growth and maturation. They do an amazing job having these conversations, but it just so happened in my career that these young girls kept coming to me and I just fell in love with working with them. And you talked about having kind of a fascination and a, a, a love for development, being physically fit and what have you, even in your youth days, was that, was there a coach or someone similar to like, if you flip back to your younger days, was there someone who impacted you that made you, was it a parent type of mo a mentor or a model who, who kind of made you say, you know what, I want to better my body, better my mind all those types of things. So it was actually my mom who told me about strength and conditioning because she had found out that one of my teammates was seeing a strength coach. And we both noticed like, what is this girl doing? She <laughs> looks incredible on the field. Like she's bolting past all of us. Like what's her secret. And my mom was like, Sarah's doing this. Like off season strength and conditioning camp. Do you want to do it? And that's all my mom said to me. She didn't push it. She just asked. She's like, do you want to do it? 
And I was like, yeah, of course. Cause I was naturally really competitive, but my, my mom was the one who showed me that, that side of it. And she would actually work out with me a lot. So my, my mom was a big part in my, my physical health. And she was super, she was such a health nut back then and still is. So that, that was really inspirational. And that's something that I encourage parents now who are struggling to get their kid to do the strength and conditioning to join them, to make it fun. That that's what really did it for me because it was a part of my household. And uh, as far as coaches, my, my strength coach was amazing. He was the strength and conditioning coach for university of Maryland Olympic sports at the time. And he just put us through the hardest conditioning and speed drills. Like we were running hill sprints, downhill sprints. We were doing shuttle runs in like 90 degree weather on the turf at like seven in the morning. It was just, it was so hard, but again, it was just me finding out how capable I was. If I, if I really pushed myself in the off season and then once season came around, it was like, this is super easy (laughs) in middle school, high school. When I went to Hopkins for preseason, it was extremely easy because I went through all that challenge. (laughs) Well, you mentioned Bethesda as the club that you played at and that I know that one just like just a big name. What was the experience being part of a club that's like so nationally known? It was, it was amazing, but you know, I didn't go to the the travel system at that level until I was 13. So up until then, I was actually playing in the rec system. Um, And I don't really know if it's called the same thing now, but like select teams, which is kind of like a half travel team. That's what it was called back then. But uh, when I turned 13, I had been training hard on my own and just feeling confident in my abilities to make that shift from rec to Bethesda, but it wasn't easy at first. I wasn't starting. I wasn't getting a lot of playing time, but that didn't mean I, you know, left the team and club hopped because I was upset. I had to continue to work hard and earn my spot. Our Bethesda team was the number one team in the state at at that time. We won state cup every single year. Um, but like me going to that new team, I had to earn my spot again because on my old teams, I was playing every minute, scoring every goal. And it was definitely a humbling experience, but I, I really needed it. And I wanted to play in college as well. So I knew at that age, I, I did have to take the next step to a higher level. And it was, I love the club. I love the coaching and I heard they're still doing amazing. So that's, that's awesome to hear. So then you make the jump to, to John Hopkins. What, what level of play is that? And what was that experience of, like you said, physically I was ready for, but what were some maybe other adjustments that you ran into as you went from the club game to in high school to the college level? So I didn't know what uh, Johns Hopkins was until later in high school. Um, You know, just like every other girl, I wanted to play for UNC or Stanford or, you know, a team in the top 25. But I started to look at Hopkins and I saw they were division three and I had more of an open mind because I started to narrow down, well, 
I do want to go to a smaller school. I do want to go to a school with good academics and that's close to home. And I do want to be on a team that's good in their conference. They do really well, but I want to get playing time. And I did get offers from University of Maryland, George Washington University, University of Wisconsin, all division one schools, ACC, Big Ten. But I ended up turning them down. People thought I was nuts, (laughs) but I wasn't sure how much I'd play. I mean, maybe I would have played a lot. I don't know. Uh, I always wonder what I always wonder what if, of course, but I am so happy I decided to go to Hopkins because I got a lot of playing time and I felt I was making a contribution to the program and I was becoming a better player as well, a better student. And I, I didn't fail out of the school, which is a huge win, (laughs) but it was, it was a really great experience. The team culture was fantastic. We had a, a roster of over 30 women and, um, surprisingly we all got along pretty well. Um, and we were all super close and that was just probably the, the best, best time I've had. I mean, I would redo college soccer in a heartbeat. That's awesome to hear is, um, and you were talking about like talking with the middle schoolers and all those that you work with. Are there times that you have, maybe it's not so much training, but you have these conversations with them. Cause it sounds like you have some really cool, like just the idea of going into a club and then finding out like, look, I had to battle to get onto the field and then continue to grow. And then I went to a college and then it was like the, cause I'm seeing a lot of conversations out there about everybody wants to go D one. Everybody has to go D one. And I think it's huge for you to say, look, I wanted to find the place that was a good fit for me, not just soccer wise, but academically it was close to home socially, like just being in a mix with a bunch of girls and players that you enjoy being around is a huge plus So are those things like those conversations, are they just kind of in training or do you have kind of maybe set times where you have sit downs with some of the the people you work with? They just come up organically. Yeah, I would say weekly uh, because a lot of the girls I work with do want to play a sport in college. And I say a sport because a lot of them, they are primarily soccer players, but they also want to explore other things, which is really cool. And I always tell them, you just have to find what you enjoy, uh, whether it's soccer or lacrosse or track, uh, maybe you want to be a student first an athlete second, maybe you do just want to go for soccer and play division one. That's fine. But just start narrowing it down, especially once you get into freshman year of high school, narrow it down based on the, the sport size of the school team culture is huge. Uh, that's something I tell the girls that's so important and really overlooked. I've, I've had a lot of players transfer because they made a fast decision. And I tell those stories to my other girls um, because they were just looking at the shiny bells and whistles and they weren't looking at the team chemistry, how the coach ran the program. Um, You know, you go on that visit and everything seems great. Everyone's on their best behavior, but then you go to the school your first semester and you're like, what did I do? (laughs) So I just try to educate my, my younger girls on that. And um, I I recently had a girl who said that she might want to go to college for track. 
because she wants to go to an Ivy league and there's a lot of scholarships available. She's a really amazing soccer player and track athlete. And I thought that was cool that she came to that conclusion and something it's something else that she might be able to excel in and get into her dream school. So you just have to weigh, weigh everything. As you're going through John Hopkins and you're playing, um, what causes or what makes you transition into the coaching uh, ranks? So like, just get adjusted to everything. Like, (laughs) like in terms of, so you mentioned you went into coaching after you had been playing. So what was part of the thought process? Like, at what point did you say, you know what, I think I might like to try this coaching gig. Oh my. So that didn't come till after I graduated Hopkins. So when I graduated, I just started to do some private lessons and it was because like my mom's friends and our neighbors were asking if I could, Hmm. and I had never even thought of it. I was like, yeah, sure. Like I'll, I'll do private lessons. Why not? Um, but then, you know, after a few months of that, I, I actually ended up going to Brazil because I was committed to going there for a volunteer project to coach down there for a year. So then after that, I was like, okay, I really love coaching youth, especially, um, because there's just so much to teach. They, there's a lot to be molded and they're just so receptive and you can really get them young and get them into good habits, young, uh, technically, physically, and mentally. So I think it was that, that Brazil trip that did it for me. And then when I got back, I went all in with coaching. I did embarrassingly enough start as a skills trainer, (laughs) but then I slowly realized that I wasn't giving these young athletes what they really needed. And this was when like speed and strength training was starting to become a little bit more popular, but I, I really wanted to start spreading the message. Hey, we need to make sure that you're staying healthy, but you're also not hitting a wall physically when you get to high school and college. So I, I went all in with that. And then during that time, while I was coaching full-time, I went back to graduate school to get my master's in exercise science and performance enhancement to just continue to, to learn the science behind it. And just to really master my craft. Um, I don't recommend people coach and go to graduate school full-time. It was a very tough couple of years, but definitely, definitely worth it in the end. And it, it just helped me become a lot better as a coach. And I just became more passionate about performance after that. <laughs> the experience in Brazil, what was, what was kind of the setup and kind of like your daily routine there? What was it about? Was it just the, like you were talking about just that energy of the kids and their just willingness to learn? Was that what kind of just, you're like, okay, I want to do this. Yeah. I, you know, I definitely get nostalgic of living there because there wasn't really a set routine. (laughs) Like everyone's late for everything. Like people just come as they please. But overall the routine was I went out to a favela, which is one of the poorest neighborhoods in Brazil. I mean, there's tons of them. I guess you could say they're called like slums. That's a synonym for favela. And you you literally go in and you see people 
no roof on on their house um you know guns cops like just patrolling the place uh drugs it, it's wild and when you go in as an american woman <laughs> it it can be a, a little bit scary but i found that we all had the same thing in common and we love the game of soccer and we we went into this like arena in the middle of the the favela so it was kind of like closed in and a little bit safer they had locked it when i was there on my coaching project so i did feel a lot safer but when we were in there i mean the energy was just crazy like there were kids just playing barefoot the futsal courts are all concrete it's nothing fancy <laughs> and oh. there's kids just like slide tackling on concrete doing bicycle kicks like scraping their backs it was absolutely nuts and I just like really miss that purity of the game when I was down there because you come back here and it's like I worked at a performance facility for several years and you have all the fancy equipment and technology but you're down there and you just have a ball you know, so it's just a very different environment, but I, I really enjoyed the, the simplicity of it and the excitement and, and how colorful it was down there. The cool thing about it is like the picture you, you kind of visualize when you explain it is the, all of this kind of chaos on the outside of the arena. And as soon as they're in, it's like their opportunity just to be kids and just to, like you said, just that love and be just colorful and 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 awesome which is so cool um for you yeah it, it was yeah that's a good point it was like a, a metaphor for like life down there because you coach these kids and that this was actually all boys I was coaching all boys at this time and they were all like middle school early high school age but you coach these kids and they're like so happy and excited when we're all playing futsal but you find out, oh, well, that kid's dad is an alcoholic or that other kid, his his mom beat him. Like you find out these stories, the more you work with these kids and talk to the other adults in the favela and you're like, whoa, like, I can't believe you're going through that. But when you come here, you act like none of that's happening. Um, so for them, the game is just true passion. It's an escape and it's where they feel there's the most meaning in their lives. At least that's what it seems. So yeah, it was, it was really crazy. And, you know, I look back on that and I get complaints from people here and I'm like, you don't have no clue what it was like in Brazil. <laughs> yeah. Let's be happy that we're inside. It's got a roof. It's got all the fancy uh, walls and turf and all those types of cool little things. The The one thing that I've loved about was that People have come to you like when you or done what at John Hopkins, they said, hey, we want you to help us train and all that kind of stuff. And even you said, I was like, hey, why work with girls? You're like, well, they seem to just come to me. I connect well and, and what have you. Um, has that been kind of the way things have worked out for you that it's just kind of grown organically um, as you kind of moved along and built this uh, training kind of program that you've got? Yes. I, I mean, in the first several years, it's been mainly word of mouth. It still is. And it was really about like that first girl I worked with back in 2012. It was like, I was going to give her my all and help her get results. And then from there, it just blew up. 
and you know then you start getting like her teammates and then their friends who go to other schools and then you get a, t- a whole team to train and then once you get that first team then it gets really crazy so yeah it just really started just getting people results physically and mentally and it's it's still that way and a lot of people think I get clients from social media and I actually don't um maybe a couple of remote clients but in person it is still word of mouth which is why I'm excited to be in Florida I feel like I'm in my first year of training because no one knows who I am here. Like I literally <laughs> started over and it's kind of cool because I'm like, well, no, no one knows me time to prove myself again, get people results and see where it goes. So it's been really fun for me. So starting fresh, how does that, do you go to a, a performance place and say, Hey, America, here's what I like to do. I'd like to start bringing clients in. Um, Do you rent out space? Like how does one that's maybe in your position start building um, and getting a name out there? So I I used to work in a performance facility in Maryland and I had rented space there. Uh, But when I moved to Florida, I was like, you know what? I just want my own space. I want my own control. I don't know what's going to happen in the world, uh, especially after the pandemic. So I decided to build a garage gym <laughs> and work from home. And so I do that and I, I use field space in, in the neighborhood as well, but I just like finally having my own space. And, um, it's, it's just really nice because I, I I've done the facility life for many years and it, it definitely burned me out. And to be able to just like walk into my home gym barefoot, you know, playing whatever music I want. Um, it's very peaceful for me (laughs) and I like, feel I can really be myself. So that's, that's where I'm at right now. (laughs) Has being kind of like a business entrepreneur, whatever you want to call it, has that been something that's kind of always kind of been part of your makeup or is this just part of the evolution of like, I just became kind of working with people and, and here I am. So I was supposed to go to business school to get my MBA. And of course, my parents were pushing it. But I was like, you know, I'm going to go for exercise science for graduate school because I just feel business school doesn't it doesn't teach you that like the day in and day out of this. And I've had to learn by just messing up (laughs) and just tweaking what I've been doing and um, just really learning how to automate things so I I don't have to do so much of the admin work. And that's been really important for me because I want to focus only on the coaching and connecting with my athletes. Otherwise, if I'm just spending too much energy elsewhere, it's just, it's way too much. And a lot of people be like, well, you're always on social media. And I'm like, well, that's easy for me. Like that's, that's fun for me. I feel like I always am having ideas of what to say based on my conversations and coaching. And I just get on Twitter and share stuff and hope, hopefully it helps. But yeah, it's really just, I want to focus on the coaching, the social media, the writing, like all the content stuff so that people can get free stuff and, and learn how to connect and, and train female athletes. 
You mentioned the the writing piece. So where did the where did the idea of you know what I'm going to write a book and what was I guess first what was the experience of writing a book because I think most of us think back to like English class and you had to write five six pages. What's it like to actually write something and try to get all of your ideas down on paper? I've I've always loved writing, especially if it's a subject I'm really passionate about. And I I started my blog in I think it was 2014, just writing on female athlete training, speed development, power development, injury prevention. And it was really just all those years of writing blogs where I was like, you know, I probably should put this in print form and just update all the content, share new research and new ideas. And I think a physical book is so powerful still, even in our current digital world, people just want something in their hands or girls want something in their soccer bag or coaches want something to refer back to and take notes. So I just really wanted that physical book for people so that they can refer back to it because it it is essentially a, a guide for female athletes. There's everything in there. Um, there's such a need for it. I don't know any books out there that cover female athlete performance. I There are books, medical books that cover like the pediatric side of it and bone health and all that but not the performance side. So I wanted to put it all in, in the book. So does the book cover like the physical side, um, diet, all those kind of ins and outs you talk about hormones, like kind of dealing with like the changes of the body and ages and all those types of things. Yeah. So it's every aspect of performance, it's nutrition, the sleep quality, stress management, building confidence, um, social media, there's a lot on that in there because that can impact a girl's performance as well. And it's, it's just this holistic picture because a, a lot of people think, well, female athletes need to strength train, which, which is great. And they do, but that's, that's the bare minimum. That's like the tip of the iceberg, like nail that down first. And then there's like 10 other things you guys need to work on. (laughs) Um, but sadly a lot of people aren't doing that bare minimum strength training. So I really hammer in like the first half of the book, why strength training is beneficial for female athletes, for improving speed, for reducing chance of ACL, for being able to handle year round sports because their bodies are going through so much. Um, and then the second half of the book is all of the other aspects, but it's a lot on the mental side of the game and just sharing athlete stories, uh, personal stories of failure and really giving people the tools on how to build that confidence and that mental resilience. The one thing that has gone through my head is that like, you're a very motivated and like purposeful kind of person. It sounds like, have you, have you been doing all of this kind of on your own? Like you just said, I just built my own garage and I'm running it. Is there, is there other trainers with you or do you, is it really Erica doing pretty much all of it? It's I'm mainly just a, a one woman show. I mean, obviously I've had, had the help of my loved ones and, and my friends, but with like my coaching, my social media, that's all me. Uh, there was a time, I think it, it was during 2020 when 
everyone was remote school. I had hired an intern at Johns Hopkins University and she ran my social media, which was really helpful. But I, I do like to, to be on there to connect with people. Um, but mainly the, the help I'm getting now is just like the automations I have set up, um, like emails, um, payment automations, messaging automations, um, my blogs are automated because I have to write those individually, but there's just so many things that I automated or I use like a virtual assistant for, and that's been massive for me because I I'm only one person. So if I did it all, I would burn out and I wouldn't be practicing what I preach. And then the other thing I was thinking of, so is this all Erica does is Erica just training and running this gym or are there other things that you have like other hats that you wear? So I, right now I've been going more into the mentorship part of what I do. So I run a female athlete fitness mentorship for coaches. It's a coaching education course because I, I don't want to feel limited to who I'm working with in Florida. And if I can help one coach uh, with their warm up or with their off season programming, then I can help more female athletes. So I think that's one piece that's that's been missing is the coach education. And that's one thing I want to keep dialing in on as far as my work. Um, I definitely still want to always coach athletes and just keep myself sharp. And I just love being on the floor with them and connecting with them and having in-person conversations. Um, but I definitely want to continue to explore the mentorship side of it because a a lot of coaches just don't have access to, to, to the education. The thing that I love about too, is you mentioned earlier about the, almost like the multiple things that you have to do and like, here's the basic and that's the tip of the iceberg. And you keep growing is that even the ideas that you're trying to, from the mentorship to all the things you're doing are build. It sounds like they're building and incorporating each of those like 10 things. I think that you mentioned um, earlier. The other thing I was wondering is why Tampa, what was the draw to like, I understand in Maryland, weather, maybe, I don't know. That's my guess. Um, but why, why the move to Tampa and, and maybe why the move at all? Like, did you just need that change of um, like location? Just to, like you said, almost starting fresh, let's just do this. Um, what were the, the draws to coming down to Florida? I've been marinating on moving somewhere warmer since I was like 15. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I've always been scheming, but, uh, 2020 was the tip of the iceberg because I realized I could work remote and go somewhere and build myself back up again. So, Um, I decided to choose Tampa because I've been to Tampa many times. I've been for soccer when I was in high school. I've been the past five years for every year and um, my friends live down here. So I I knew a lot of people already and I wanted to go somewhere where I had a crew and I wasn't just alone. So it wasn't a totally random pick with Tampa. It wasn't because Tom Brady moved here, Um, but (laughs) Yeah, I I decided to come because it's it's warmer. Um, You kind of do get the seasons. It's been like 30 degrees here in the morning. So it's not like South Beach, Miami, where it's always hot, but the weather is great. You're close to the beach. The soccer community is 
huge here. I, I didn't think it was possible for it to be bigger than Maryland because Maryland's a massive soccer community, but here it's, there's some really big clubs. So that was a part of it as well. And, um, the, the cost of living was great. No state income tax. I mean, there's so many things <laughs> that, that went into it, but those were just a handful. I love the fact that you said marinating and then it was from year when you were 15, that's a, yeah. that's a lot of years to kind of build up to make this move, which is really cool that even back then you're kind of in your head, like I'm going to end up down South at some point where it's warm and what have you with the, with the soccer community down there in Tampa, how do you, how do you go about connecting with the clubs and getting your name out there um, to kind of start building up some more clients and what have you? I didn't really come in with a plan. Um, It was interesting and just perfect timing. But before I drove down here last February, I actually had two people email me from my website because I had announced on social media that I was moving to Tampa. And these two people who had daughters reached out and they're like, oh my gosh, can we train with you? So before I got down here, I was very grateful to already have a few people to train. And that was from all those years of being on social media and blogging, posting the YouTube and um, the first person who reached out to me actually was a girl's mom. And the, the girl was actually in the hospital all through 2020, uh, getting a bone marrow transplant, uh, and just re- in really critical condition, they weren't sure if she was going to live. And during the time they were watching my YouTube videos while she was in the hospital. And then when they found out I was moving to Tampa, they're like, Holy crap, we followed her on YouTube in the <laughs> hospital. And I was like, Oh my gosh, this is the craziest story. Like, yeah this is so meant to be. So she was my first client when I came down here and they're amazing. Um, and they, like when you have people in your corner and they believe in what you do, then they'll just, they literally tell everyone about it. So, um, you know, they've played a a big part in me making the transition down here and, um, just working with teams and, then once you get all those people, then it just like goes from there. But I just thought that was, I mean, that story was really powerful. I was like, wow, like if my YouTube videos were helping you get through the hospital, like that's enough for me. Like I can quit now, like, (laughs) you know? So yeah, it was, it was really cool. One of the things too, is like making that move and starting fresh that's a huge step. There's always that side, like we, this might've not worked out. Um, and any of this stuff you've talked about, like there's been some times you've kind of had to learn and kind of like this didn't work. So I'm gonna try this and all that type of stuff. How do you keep kind of like persevering through knowing that like, Hey, I got to keep growing this. I got to keep doing, um, cause you know, this is how you're going to have your income and all that kind of stuff. There was no other option for me. Like I was going to make Florida work no matter what. <laughs> That's just my, my mindset and my attitude. And, you know, if, if my business didn't work, then I could go coach for a college or club. Like I, I had enough confidence in like my experience, my degrees, my certifications that worst case scenario, I work for another team and I, I don't do my own thing. Um, so, so my attitude was, I'm just going to keep doing what I've always been doing. And 
how I started out in Maryland the first year. And if it worked that time, then it'll, it'll work this time and I'll be okay. <laughs> um, I'm still, I'm at the beach. So <laughs> if things are slow in the first couple months, I'll be okay. <laughs> it's fine. Um, but yeah, I mean, my attitude has always been just keep persevering and just keep putting your best foot forward. Keep, keep learning. Um, keep asking questions as a coach and mastering your craft. Like even in year 11, I still feel like I don't know a lot and cause the industry is just changing so fast. So I always have to continue to sharpen the ax. What was it like when you had to leave the players that you were working with up in Maryland? Do you stay in contact with them? And was that difficult to be like, look, making this move it's that's the right thing to do professionally but it sounds like relationship wise you really enjoy and love working with these players like even especially this one about the story of, of being in the hospital like it just has to pull out your heart so I know that there were players back in Maryland that you have similar stories that you could share that you were close with what was it like to have to be like look I've got to make this move um to Florida that was the hardest part I mean uh no one saw it coming And it was, uh, it was a big shock. So it, I had, there were like a couple steps to this. So I had to first tell them I was moving. So that was emotional. (laughs) And then the second step was I had to run my last sessions. So it's like, it was just like this whole month of just emotions and tears and goodbyes. And it's like, you know, you've known some of these kids for over eight years and you've worked with them since elementary and middle school and then you're leaving and they don't have a trainer and they don't trust anyone else. (laughs) Um, so that was really hard. Um, but of course, you know, I, I always tell my athletes, you have to, you have to get uncomfortable and it could be the best decision of your life. And that's why I'm, leaving because I feel like I'm just kind of like coasting right now and I need a new challenge. And I, you know, I was just practicing what I preached. I was like, you know, I just got to take the jump. And, um, everyone was really supportive. Of course they wanted me to stay, but everyone was just like super excited and they, they just wanted me to come down here and crush it. But those, those last few sessions were really hard because you keep like hugging people and then you don't really want to say that last goodbye. And then you give them another hug and then it's like, okay, I'm going to walk to my car and (laughs) drive away. So it dragged out a a little longer than I wanted to, because it was too emotional, but we all still stay in touch. And that that's the best part with, with social media and zoom and all this remote stuff, you can still stay connected and actually there's a lot of tournaments that happen in Florida. So next month there's a big three V three tournament at Disney and I get to see a couple of my Maryland girls. So I'm really excited. Yeah. So that's, that's really cool. And I'm, I'm really grateful for that. The other thing I want you had mentioned earlier about like the parents were like, Hey, go get your business degree and what have you. And you kind of branched off and went this direction. How excited and supportive are like your mom you talked about earlier was a huge kind of influence in you going in this direction of trying to better yourself mentally and health wise and what have you Um, how excited are they for you to one move down to Florida and two to kind of like take this you know the bull by the horns and start doing your own thing so I 
I thought my dad was going to be like, what the heck? (laughs) I was worried about his reaction. So it was um, Thanksgiving 2020 when I decided to break the news. (laughs) Of course, during the holidays, I'm like, oh gosh, I don't think my dad's going to be supportive of this uh, because he doesn't want me to leave. But I told him, I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to move to Florida. And my dad was so excited. He was like, that's great. <laughs> and I'm like, where is this coming from? And he's like, that's great. You're going to do awesome. Like we get to visit you every month. And I was like, oh my gosh. So um, my dad was supportive, surprisingly. And my mom was really supportive. And I mean, since, since day one, since I started this thing, they've always had my back and um, just having their, their support has always been amazing. And they've always been supportive for me as, as a soccer player and allowed me to be autonomous and and make my own decisions. And they, they just trust my, my judgment. And they're, they're really excited that I'm down here and doing well. Erica, this has been so stinking awesome. Uh, if people want to connect with you, because clearly you've already shared, you love being on social. What's some ways that people connect with you, um, you know, follow along, maybe find out more information about the mentorship uh, program that you're offering. So I'm hanging out on Twitter and Instagram the most. And my handle is at fit soccer queen. And you'll, you'll find on there, my, my website, and then the links to the the video course, as well as the, the strong female athlete book. It's, it's only available on Amazon and paperback and, and Kindle. So, um, always tweeting about female athlete performance training. So if you don't get the book, you get a bunch of free advice. <laughs> that sounds awesome to me. Everybody loves free for yes. sure. Um, this has been awesome. I'm going to shut this thing down. This is Kieran with coaches corner chats with Erica Suter and I'm out. Peace. A big shout out to King and Fifth for hooking me up with the AMRAP beanie. Check them out at kingandfifth.com. Coach's Corner Chats would like to thank Fearless and Capable for supporting the podcast. Visit fearlessandcapable.com.